Well, people of God, please remain standing as we hear God address us from His Word this morning. The third commandment, which is Exodus chapter 20, verse 7. And please listen carefully to God's Word. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The grass withers and the flowers fade. Please be seated. And now let us go to the Lord and ask His blessing this morning on the preaching of His Word. Our holy God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, we adore You and we worship You. We desire this morning that You would show us Your majesty and Your goodness, Your power and Your love, Your tenderheartedness towards us, Your people. You would reveal all of these things to us in Your Word, in this specific Word this morning. We pray that You would show us what it means, that You would enable us by the power of Your Spirit to keep Your Word, and that You would do all of this for our good, but supremely for Your glory. We pray it in and through Christ our Savior and our Lord. Amen. O sing to the Lord a new song. Sing to the Lord all the earth. Sing to the Lord, bless His name, tell of His salvation from day to day. Declare His glory among the nations, His marvelous works among all the peoples. For great is the Lord and greatly to be praised. He is to be feared above all gods. For all the gods of the people are worthless idols. But the Lord made the heavens. Splendor and majesty are before Him. Strength and beauty are in His sanctuary. Ascribe to the Lord, O families of the peoples, ascribe to the Lord glory and strength. Ascribe to the Lord the glory due His name. Bring an offering and come into His courts. Worship the Lord in the splendor of holiness. Tremble before Him, all the earth. Well, our sermon text this morning tells us not to take the name of the Lord our God in vain. And those opening words from Psalm 96, they show us why. Because our Lord is majestic in holiness. We're called to tremble before our God, to ascribe glory and majesty to Him. And as verse 8 of Psalm 96 said, to ascribe to our Lord the glory that is due His name. The third commandment is about ascribing to the Lord the glory that is due to His name. Now this is a a commandment that uh, we probably think of one thing primarily when we, we first hear this. And that is simply not to use God's name as a curse word. And that is certainly true, but that is far from the most important thing that we will learn about 
the third commandment. That, that is just one of many of the aspects of how we keep this commandment. But it's far, far more than that. The third commandment is about ascribing to the Lord the glory that is due to His name and living lives, including how we speak, but also how we live our entire lives before our God in holiness because He is a holy God. I want to do three things this morning. By God's grace, we'll be able to see these three aspects uh, of this commandment. Uh, The first is simply taking the words at face value. It's put in the form of a negative. Don't take God's name in vain. What does that mean? That will be our first point. Secondly, however, there is a positive side to this. If you're not to take God's name in vain... That's one thing, but what should you do instead? There's a positive side. How do we obey this commandment positively? What is God calling each one of us to do out in the world? How do we keep this commandment without just simply not doing certain things? How do we magnify the name of God, in other words, in all of our lives? That's the second point. Thirdly, I want to try to look with you at a variety of ways that we can put this into practice in our own lives. So the negative of this commandment, the positive side of this commandment, and then finally, what do we do with this? How do we put this into practice in our lives? Well, first of all, as I said and as you can see, it's put in the form of a negative. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. It's the first half. Of course, there's also a warning here. The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. The Lord will not overlook this. The Lord is not someone to be trifled with. His name is not to be trifled with. It is a weighty and serious thing to take God's name in vain. But what does that mean? What does it mean to take God's name in vain. Now you can hear this in the English there, taking something. If I pick something up and I take it with me when I'm going out in my car, you know, I'm transporting it. But I think that there is a danger for us that we are so used to, to simply thinking of taking God's name as a curse word that when we hear the command, we, we see that as almost synonymous with just simply cursing. Cursing using God's name, taking his name that way. But think more literally of what's being said there. When you take something, you pick it up. And and the Hebrew verb is literally to carry, to carry God's name or to bear God's name. It's to take God's name with you. And it's to do so, the command is to not do so in a way that is vain which is just simply another way of saying a way that is empty. So don't carry God's name, and in fact, don't carry God's name upon yourself in a way that is empty. That is the heart of this command in its negative form. Do not carry God's name upon yourself. Do not take God's name upon yourself. Do not proclaim that you belong to the Lord God and then live your life in such a way that shows that God, in your own heart at least, is an empty thing. 
or that his word is an empty thing. So this is, this is far more than just a commandment about speech. It's certainly that. This is a commandment that touches on the entirety of our life. Everything that we do in the world in some way is going to be reflecting the God that we say that we belong to, the God that we say that we worship, the God whom we say we love. Does our life reflect that? So at its most basic then, not taking God's name in vain is not to carry his name upon you in a way that is empty. Well, what does that mean, in a way that is empty? Well, it's treating God, this powerful God, the creator of the universe, the sustainer of the universe who simply spoke the world into existence, who upholds the, the universe by the word of his power, it's to act as if that is false, Act as if God's word is not true. If all of the things that he says in his word simply uh, are, 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 not, are not real. These realities are, are, are not real. That's what we say or we can say about God. I want to give you uh, just a, a concrete way that we can do this. Uh, the promises of God in Scripture. God has made infinite number almost of, of, of promises to us in his word. For every aspect of our lives. And he expects us as his people to believe those promises. And to act on those promises. To live our lives in light of those promises. And some of those promises are that God will give us the grace to fight against sin. We even heard that in our our promise of forgiveness, didn't we, from Ezekiel. You know, that the Lord will cleanse us of our defilements. I'd ask you. People of God, do you believe that? Do you believe that that your God will cleanse you of the defilement of sin? Because that's one of those promises that is very easy for us as God's people to doubt, isn't it? Because we see how powerful sin is in our lives. We see how even as those who have been forgiven by the Lord Jesus Christ, who've been washed clean through his blood, who've been given the Holy Spirit, we still have sin in our hearts. We still fight against it. We still struggle with sin. And we feel the force of it. And it's very easy for us then to doubt that God will truly cleanse us. He will give us the grace to repent of our sin. We think, I'll never be able to move past this sin. I'll never be able to repent. It's too much for me. It's overwhelming me. And so we start to doubt the promises of God. Satan attempts us to doubt those promises. Our own flesh rises up against us to doubt those promises. That's what it means to carry God's name upon you in an empty way. is to doubt the power of his promises. To say that his promises are empty. That God won't actually do what he says he will do. What he promises that he will do. We can do this when we face times of great difficulty. Whether that is sickness, cancer, losing a job, a strife that we, we face among family or neighbors. All of these dark times that we 
all have to walk through. And I know many of you, even now, are walking through those, those dark times. And what is, what is the temptation that you're going to face in those times? To not believe God's promises. To think God's promises aren't true. He can't get me through this. It's too much. I can't endure. The Lord will not lift me up and sustain me. But what does God promise to us in those times? I will never leave you. I will never forsake you. I will never abandon you. Do you believe that, brothers and sisters? Do you believe that God will not forsake you? When you are tempted to doubt those promises of God, and when you do doubt them, and when you fall into sinful unbelief, you're taking God's name upon yourself in an empty way. You're saying that what God has promised to you, well, my circumstances have shown that it's just too much. Those promises aren't true for me. Maybe they're true for others, but not for me. For those of you who are parents, God has wonderful promises in His Word for your children, that I will be your God and the God of your children. And you think, well, where, where are you, God, to act upon these promises? And you doubt. You doubt His power to do that for your children, to save them. And you fear. You say, well, I see the promise, but... Why is it not true in my circumstance? You treat God's promise and you treat God as if His word is empty. God calls us to raise our children in a certain way, right? To, to teach them the truths of God's word, to discipline them faithfully, and to encourage them in the things of God. And then we think, if I'm, if I'm too strict... In, my, in discipline, if I'm too strict with uh, constantly teaching them the Word of God day after day after day, well, maybe I'm going to turn them away from the Lord. And we doubt God's promises. We live by sinful fear instead. We treat God's promises as if they are an empty thing. That's what it means to carry God's name in vain or in an empty way. Will God provide for you? All that you need for life. Well, he promises, doesn't he? That he will give us our daily bread. Do you believe that? Do you believe that God will give you your daily provision when you're facing those circumstances, job loss or um, tragedy in your life, and you think, no, it, God's not enough? Well, then you've taken God's name in vain. You've carried his name upon you in vain. So that's the negative side. That's the negative, is that we, we doubt God, we doubt His Word, we doubt His promises, we treat them as an empty thing. We go out into the world and we claim that we belong to the Lord Jesus Christ, but our speech, our lives, and even if we deceive everyone else, our hearts show otherwise. They, they show uh, what we really think, what we really believe. But this commandment, as I said, has a positive side. You know, it's not enough to just simply not bear God's name in vain, but we must bear God's name in a holy way. We must bear God's name in a way that shows that we do truly 
trust in this almighty God. The Lord's name must be holy, in other words, for us. We must bear it in the world in a holy way. You'll see throughout the scriptures that God's people are called to sanctify the name of the Lord in their hearts. To sanctify the name of the Lord in their hearts. To sanctify means to set something apart. And we are called to set God's name apart. To believe that our God is who he says he is. And to sanctify his name in our hearts so that we will live according to his promises. So that we will live for him, not just in our speech, certainly that, but in the totality of our lives. We belong to him. His name is placed upon us. As we have heard this morning, his name is placed upon us in baptism. He places his stamp upon us. We are His. That must identify us. When we we think about who we are as God's people, we are His. We are holy. We are set apart for Him. And His name then must be holy in our hearts. This calls us to a holy reverence of our God. This is not just something from the Old Testament. Think of Israel at the foot of Mount Sinai, trembling before God, that the mountain is quaking and there's dark smoke and lightning and thunder and, and the people are trembling. And then sometimes we can think, well, that's, that's the Old Testament saints, isn't it? You know, they saw God come down on the mountain. God doesn't do things like that anymore. Well, that's not true. We worship the same God who is a consuming fire. But do we live that way? Do we live that way when we go out from here and we go out into the world? Do we live that way? Do we show that in our speech? Do we show that in our lives, that we have a holy reverence for a holy God? Our God is certainly a God who loves us in Christ and who is near to us and who is tenderhearted for his children. But he's also not our pal. He's not someone that we can casually come into his presence And treat as if he's just um, someone to have a time of chit-chat with, right? God is a holy God. He is a consuming fire. Do we live our lives in light of that? Do we bear the name of God upon our, our lips and upon ourselves and go out into the world and live accordingly? Or do we go out into the world and begin to just live like everyone else and speak like everyone else and to, uh, to, to, to be consumed with the things of this world? Or do we bear the name of God, just like the priest, the high priest of the Old Testament, with his crown that said, Holy unto Yahweh. God's name upon his forehead, which is then for us as God's people, it's applied to us throughout the New Testament that we are priests going out into the world. And it's the same for us. We must have the name of Yahweh upon our forehead, sealed upon us, stamped upon us. When we go out into the world, think of ourselves that way. Do you think of yourself that way? I am holy unto Yahweh, unto the Lord. I belong to Him. And He requires of me that my speech and my life reflect who He is and not Show the world that God is an empty thing, a vain thing. 
You know, do, do, do through our lives, through our hypocrisy even, do we show the world that Christianity is an empty thing? Or do we show that we have a holy God, a God who created the universe? And yes, a God who is merciful and gracious to us. So the, the, the second point then, just summing that up, is, is that we must bear the name of God upon ourselves in a way that is fitting with who God is, that shows that He is holy, that He is good, that He is almighty, and that we have great confidence in our God. Well, for our third point now, I want to look at some more specific ways in which we can apply this to our lives. Again, we are to bear the name of God in a holy way. We are to think of ourselves as God's people, as royal ambassadors. An ambassador is not someone who has authority to speak for himself. He goes out into the world and he speaks for the king. He speaks for the president. He speaks for the ruler. He doesn't speak for himself. He knows that in everything that he does, he reflects the one who sent him. And that's precisely what the third commandment teaches us. We should think of ourselves in that very way. Uh, my four sons, they really enjoy tennis. And uh, they have a great coach, and they have uh, a group um, where they, they play, and their group is called the Athletic Group. That's um, their, their kind of uh, moniker. And then, so they have shirts, and they have hoodies that say T-A-G, tag, the Athletic Group. Well, they've got a great coach, and their coach impresses upon them that every time they go out and they play a tournament, you need to wear your, your gear, you need to have tag on your shirt, and you need to live properly according to um, good sportsmanship. And so he's been impressing upon them that they must, uh, they must show that sportsmanship when they play. If they lose, they must lose well. You know, not slamming their rackets on the ground, not cheating, not yelling at their opponents because they bear the name of tag. They reflect upon their coaches. They reflect upon their teammates. And, and so how important is that, that they would be good sportsmen in that? Right? Well, that's, that's good. That's important. But that's just tennis. Right? How much more when we think about bearing the name of the Lord Jesus Christ in the world must we think about the, the, the gravity of that, the significance of that, that we bear the name of our God in the world. And, and when we act as if God's promises are nothing, again, we say that God himself is nothing. We're teaching people through our own actions uh, to, to, um, to, to want nothing to do with our God. God's name must identify us it must shape every aspect of our existence. In the, uh, the blessing pronounced by Aaron in the Old Testament in number 6, read, The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make His face to shine upon you. 
and be gracious to you. The Lord lift up his countenance upon you and give you peace. So they shall put my name upon the people of Israel and I will bless them. And you'll see that throughout the Old Testament. It's the same for us today as God's people, that God's name is upon his people. And so they reflect who he is through their lives. But God's name is also meant to be our confidence in times of trial. God's name is meant to be our confidence in times of trial. In your name, King Asa says uh, in 2 Chronicles, in your name we have come against the multitude. They are standing before an enemy. They're prepared for battle. And Asa knows that they have no hope apart from the Lord. He says, in your name... We have come against the multitude. Well, we face many trials. I know that, uh, that many of you are going through them right now. Do you face those trials in the name of the Lord? Or do you seek help from modern idols? Do you seek your comfort and your joy elsewhere? The name of the Lord is our only confidence. He is our only help in times of trial. Now, to to bear the name of God in a way that is not empty is also for us a warning about the dangers of hypocrisy. That's really at the heart of this commandment, the, the dangers of hypocrisy. It is one of the, the most common refrains throughout the, the scriptures is that God's people can worship Him with their lips, and yet have hearts that are far from Him. Worship Him with their lips, but have hearts that are far from Him. Uh, The Apostle Paul says in Titus 1, they profess to know God, but they deny Him by their works. Now, of course, he's speaking of unbelievers there, Uh, but even as believers... There's the prophets constantly calling God's people to repentance because they will take God's name upon their lips. They'll sing His praises. They They will say, I belong to the Lord, and yet the way they live shows otherwise. That's what it means to bear God's name in vain, to take His name in vain. It's to be hypocritical. It's to say, I am a Christian. I love the Lord Jesus. And yet, we leave these doors, and the way we speak and the way we live shows otherwise, doesn't it? It's a a sober warning for us to examine our hearts and to see, is there hypocrisy in my heart? Do I take the name of Christ upon myself, and yet really, truly, in my heart, want nothing to do with Him? Refuse to believe his promises of grace to give me repentance of my sin? Do I live the way I desire to please my own sinful flesh and still take Christ's name upon myself and think in the end everything will turn out okay? And then we hear this warning The Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. So remember, that's not just someone who's cursing using God's name. That is someone whose life 
Even though God's name is upon them, someone's life is turned away from the Lord. We can deceive many people. We can deceive many people outwardly. We can say the right things. We can uh, claim to believe the right things, but the, heart, but the Lord is not deceived. The Lord knows our hearts. The Lord sees into our hearts, and He knows. This is going to be reflected in our speech, certainly. And this is where maybe the more common way that we think about this, not using God's name as a curse word, that's certainly a part of it. Obeying this commandment means that we have reverent speech about God, that we, have, we, we, we consider God as weighty, as, as, as really truly not an empty, vain thing, not an empty God, but a powerful God, a holy God, a righteous God. All of the ways that we speak must reflect that. Right? Do we approach God and His Word as a kind of joke? Do we take the things of God lightly? Do we make light of them? Do, do we think that it's just uh, it's okay to, 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 to kind of have this jokey attitude about God's Word? Or do we recognize the seriousness of what we encounter, the, the seriousness and the holiness of the God whom we encounter in Scripture? Again, I said this already, but God is not just our pal that we come into a conversation with and we just have chit-chat time with God. He's a consuming fire. And that then is also at the heart of this commandment that we come before a holy God to worship Him. Even now, we enter into the presence of a holy God this morning to worship Him. Do we come before God casually, flippantly, with hearts and minds that are distracted, thinking about all of the things that we have to do this week? Or do we come before God to worship Him as He commands in a non-vain way, to worship Him in true holiness, to do as Hebrews 12 says, uh, to, to worship God with acceptable worship, with reverence and with awe, amazed at the holiness of our God. Our God Hebrews says, is a consuming fire. That's the God of the New Testament. The same God who caused Israel at Mount Sinai to tremble. That is our God. He is a consuming fire. He is not to be trifled with. And our lives must reflect that. Are we paying lip service to our God? Isaiah 29, and the Lord said, because this people draw near to me with their mouth and they honor me with their lips while their hearts are far from me and their fear of me is a commandment taught by men. In other words, just simply going through the motions, saying the words, praying the prayers, singing the songs. Or do we come to God in a full awareness of who He is to worship Him as He commands with reverence, and with awe, awe, amazement that a holy God would allow sinful people through the blood of Christ to come into His presence and to lift up their voices to worship Him. So the Lord's name being upon us, it means that the, the totality of our lives must reflect the holiness of God. 
the way we speak, the way we live, what's in our hearts, not just what's on the outside, but what is truly in our hearts. So we come to a close. I, I think you could sum this up, really, with a single word, and it's this, integrity. Do we have an integrity of heart? And, and what that means is just simply that the totality of our life is oriented around obedience to this commandment, not bearing God's name upon our lips or upon ourselves in a way that is empty, in a way that shows that God is an empty or vain thing. Integrity, the wholeness of our life, the totality of our life, must reflect this. And of course, that is a weighty command. And I'm sure as you hear this, you're impressed with the weight of this and the seriousness of this and the overwhelmingness of this, uh, how far short each one of us has fallen from doing this. Because this is nothing short of giving up your entire life to the Lord. This is what the Apostle Paul says in Romans 12, offering up yourself to God as a burnt offering, your entire life, the, the, the entirety of your life as a burnt offering to God. Nothing remains, Paul says, because your whole life is consumed with zeal for the Lord. Well, how far short do we all follow this command? We, we, we certainly have fallen short of this command. And there may even be some of you here this morning who take the name of God upon yourself in vain. And I hope you've seen now that I'm not referring here primarily to using God's name as a curse word. If you're doing that, well, yes, you know, repent of that sinful speech. But there may be someone sitting here who has taken God's name upon himself or herself falsely in that they claim the name of Christ. You claim the name of Christ. And yet... You know, inside your heart, that that's not true. That, there is, that you are actually deceiving others, but that you are completely false before the Lord. I have good news for you, just like I have good news for all of us this morning. Because the Lord Jesus Christ gave his life on the cross for hypocrites. He gave his life on the cross to die for sinners. He gave his life to die even for those who falsely take his name upon themselves. But he didn't give his life to leave them in their sin. He didn't give his life to leave you in your sin of hypocrisy. He gave his life to forgive you of your sin and to turn you toward loving the Lord your God. And taking his name upon yourself in truth. And he promises by the power of his Holy Spirit that he will not leave you as God's people in hypocrisy. He is truly powerful enough to, to, to change your heart so that you know him and love him. You see his goodness. You see that the blood of Christ washes away all of your sins, so that you would then love the Lord Jesus Christ in truth. You would then take the name of the Lord Jesus Christ upon yourself in truth. 
Stop playing games with God. We might be able to play games with other people. We might be able to deceive other people and falsely take the name of the Lord upon ourselves, but we cannot deceive the Lord. We cannot play games with God. What we can do is confess our hypocrisy to Him and come once again to the foot of the cross and receive the grace that is sufficient to wipe away all of our sin. The name of the Lord Jesus Christ is our only hope. It is our salvation. Psalm 116 says, I will lift up the cup of salvation and call on the name of the Lord. And in Acts 4.12, we read that there is, no, there is salvation in no one else, for there is no other name under heaven given among men by which we must be saved. So that then is what I leave you with, brothers and sisters. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ and you will be saved. Call upon the name of the Lord Jesus Christ again for mercy that is new, for the hypocrisy that you see in your own hearts, even as God's people. And then go back out into the world, relying on the power of the Holy Spirit to give you the grace to take God's name upon yourself in truth and not in vanity. We stand or we fall by the power of the name of the Lord our God, and we find salvation in Him and nowhere else. Let us pray. Our God in heaven, when we consider Your holiness and we consider the weight of Your law, we see that we have fallen far short of it, We have broken it even today in our speech, in our thoughts, in our actions. And so again, we flee to the foot of the cross. We flee to Christ our Savior, and we pray that you would give us the grace to take a hold of him once again as our only hope, as our only Savior. that we would find the grace that is sufficient so that we could go out into the world and we could bear the name of Christ without hypocrisy, boldly looking to that name to sustain us, looking to that name in hope of that day when we will see Christ face to face. And I pray these things in His most precious name. Amen. Well, brothers and sisters, if you'll stand now as we sing about the power of the name of our God, I'll hail the power of Jesus' name.
be seated. We do want to continue on in our worship service this morning as we come to the conclusion, as we do every single Lord's Day, especially in the morning.